You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Psalm 13. You can flip right to the middle of your Bible and you'll probably land in the Psalms. If you hit Proverbs or Isaiah, just flip to the left. Or you can grab the Pew Bible there, little black Bible, either in your chair next to you or on the ground. And you can go to page 477 and you'll find Psalm 13. We're in our third week in our series, Learning to Lament. And we finally look to a Psalm of David. Now, this is the third well-known figure from the Bible we're seeing in this series. We've looked at Jeremiah and Lamentations. We saw Moses in Psalm 90. And then now we look at David. Jeremiah, Moses, David. This fact alone already reveals something very profound to us. That these three giant figures in the Old Testament would write songs of lament and all that they experienced profound suffering and that they lamented, this shows us that lament is really a part of a believer's experience on earth. David's life, especially David's life, is filled with laments and grief. I mean, just think about David's entire life. And in the grief and pain and heartache he experienced, it begins with his father, his own father, rejecting him. Thinking that, well, surely my other sons would be king, not David. He laments his own sins. He laments the king of Israel trying to kill him. He laments committing an organized crime, adultery, murder. He laments the loss of his own child. He laments his own family being ripped apart, siblings fighting with one another. And throughout the Psalms, laments arise from all different occasions, from the rubble of life, from slander and sickness and family turmoil and political upheaval, injustice, oppression, pain, fear, and death. And in Psalm 13, David laments the aloneness he feels and the the abandonment that he thinks God has done towards him. And he feels and he hurls these questions towards God and laments are filled with questions. And what Psalm 13 shows us is how we are to live when the answers don't arrive. We are free to ask any question we want of God. But how should we live when the answers don't arrive? This is what Psalm 13 shows us. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. And by the Holy Spirit, David writes, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him. And my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. 
Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. We have questions. We, we have pain. We have grief. And Lord, there's so much in our hearts. We need your help. So consider us, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us now. And it's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever thought about or ever wondered why before we read the sermon text together and we stand and I always say, if you are able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. If you ever wondered why I say, if you are able, because we have people in our church who are not able because of their pain, chronic pain, medical orders, maybe even emotional distress, they're not able. We, we've had pregnant women who need to sit as much as they can. We've had others in chronic pain where it is best for them to remain sitting and not to get back up again. And yet, they feel compelled to stand so others won't think they are unspiritual or disinterested in singing or reading the Bible. And you know this happens because when, you, when we see someone not standing, what do you think? What's their problem? Why didn't they stand? How come they don't take this seriously? See, suffering has a way of unintentionally just it hobbles you from doing ordinary things. And then in that suffering, which you don't intend, it almost kind of invites the judgment of others. Even in a gathering like this. Why don't we first think when we see someone unable to stand or not standing, why don't we first think, hmm, I wonder what their problem is. Not what's their problem. Instead of I wonder what their problem is, their pain, their grief. Are they okay? Are they hurting so much today that they must sit? I'm going to pray for them now. And Lord, if it's nothing, just cast it aside. See, our default is to distance ourselves from others instead of entering in. Because those who suffer, they are vulnerable to unfair judgments and condemnation of others. Job and his friends show this. Job has done nothing to warrant all of the pain and suffering he experiences, but his friends, though they comfort him for a little bit, they start to pry in and they start to correct him and start trying to sift out what did you do? They wanted to figure out the why. Why did this happen? What did you do? How come this is happening in your life? What's the purpose? And this question is really one of the most common in our sufferings. You, you hear it. You've, you've been with friends, weeping with those who are weeping, and you hear the questions, why did this happen? Why did this happen to my child? Why didn't you stop this, Lord? Why did I get cancer? Why did my spouse abandon me? Why? Why? And listen, we need to be really honest with each other here. Because in these why questions... They are deep, but we are really incapable of answering them. 
And we need to realize we are better off saying to some of these why questions, just answering, I don't know, than offering some canned Christianese saying. God will be glorified in this. God has a plan. We have to realize this does not help a suffering person. Is it true? Yes. Is it comforting right then? No. This doesn't help. It actually makes God seem cruel. A tragic car wreck and then hearing God has a plan. It makes God seem like some kind of Saddam Hussein dictator who establishes his kingdom on the suffering of others. But that is not God. That is not how the kingdom operates. Because God the Son actually establishes his kingdom by suffering himself. By taking our suffering, by dying in our place. So saying God has a plan to the why question, it doesn't help. It'd be like asking, hey, why why were you late to dinner? And you say, hey, God has a plan. (laughs) That doesn't answer the question. So it's true, but it's not helping. This is why Kelly Capick in his book, Embodied Hope, says, pastors and friends are not called to explain away the pain or try to give moral lessons for why a particular event is happening. We simply are not privy to such information. While God can and does bring about good through our suffering, this is not the same thing as knowing why God allows it. We don't know why. And we actually act like God when we think we know why. We are tempted to act like God when we think we know why. And even if you hear why, that doesn't make the pain go away. The pain is still pain. The loss is still loss. And the grief and heartache are still what they are. And maybe you disagree with me and maybe you're thinking, but what about the man who was born blind in the Gospels? The disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Do you remember this? And Jesus says that God's mighty works might be displayed. So see, he's born blind, so God God could be glorified. This is way different. One, we don't know that the blind man heard Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He doesn't tell the blind man, hey, I want to let you know something. The disciples asked him, and Jesus told him. And also, This man wasn't fresh in his sufferings. He he was born blind, and now he is a man. So at least we've got two decades of this man living in his suffering. This is not a crying on the couch, why did this happen, and then offering up a Christian platitude. So this is way different than a fresh crash landing of suffering. Also, right after Jesus says this man was born blind, that God's, God's glory would be displayed, do you know what happens afterwards? Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and then wipes it, puts it on the guy's eyes and says, okay, you can see now. So unless you're going to do that to someone, unless you're going to spit on the ground and make some mud and wipe it on their wound, wipe it on their cancer, wipe it on their eyes, unless you're about to perform a miracle, be very careful with the kinds of words you tell a suffering person because you don't have the answers. Psalm 13 shows us how to act when the answers don't arrive. But we should still ask away. Look look at verse one. 
As we read verses one and two, I want you to count the question marks in these two verses. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Five questions in two verses. What David's showing us is these direct questions to the Lord that we must do is take the noise-canceling headphones off and hear our hearts. Hear what's inside. What we notice here, David has been in grief for a while, long enough to keep asking how long, how long, how long. You typically don't ask how long when it's fresh, but when it's still present, he asks how long four times. This is why Spurgeon called this Psalm the howling Psalm. How long, how long? It's like David is howling to God. How long, Lord? And you hear these kinds of things in our lives. And if you've ever suffered in a profound way, you, you know. And you can't sleep because your mind is racing. You're having a panic attack because one thought has mushroomed in your mind and taken over. How long, Lord? How long do I have to endure this? How long do I have to feel this way? How long do I have to think this way? How long is this going to go on? How long? And sometimes in our suffering and in our pain, our heartache, we feel like even God has abandoned us. That's why he says next in verse one, will you forget me forever? He feels like God has forgotten him. This is like asking God, is this how it's going to be now? You forgot me. You want nothing to do with me anymore? Why did you let my livelihood crumble? Why did you let my investment fall apart? We are tempted to doubt God's concern for us when suffering arrives. That's why he says next, how long will you hide your face from me? When we don't make eye contact with people, why? Because there's conflict. Or just because we're not getting along. Or we don't know each other. David feels like, why don't you make eye contact with me anymore, God? Why are you cold shouldering me? Why are you just passing me in the hallway and we don't say anything to each other? These are the kinds of metaphors that David is using. These are some very intense laments from David. We don't know the historical context of this psalm like we do the others. Like you see in other Psalms, it's David is hiding in the cave from Saul. This event has happened in David's life. Psalm 51, there's different, but this one, we don't have the context. And in a way, this helps us because now we can apply the aloe of Psalm 13 to, the, to a variety of sufferings in our life without feeling like we're cramming it or we're forcing it. Sometimes this can just be a cry of wanting to be happy again. How long, Lord, will I be depressed? Maybe just a cry of wanting peace in the family again. How, how long will we be at strife, Lord? Maybe wanting a wayward child to return and to know the cross of Christ and to know his resurrection. So how long, Lord, will you bring them? That's why he says in verse two, how long will I store up anxious concerns within me? David is saying, I have anxiety and I can't help it. I want it out. I need your help. I have agony in my mind every day. So you take the four hows and then you slap every day on there too. And you see the intensity and the longevity of David's suffering and lamenting. 
This is why David says in Psalm 42, another Psalm of lament, my tears have been my food day and night. I don't have an appetite. The only thing I'm eating is the tears pouring down from my face. While all day long people say to me, where is your God? Where's your great God who's supposed to help you? Another Psalm of lament, Psalm 6, David says, I am weary from groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. His eyes are so swollen from his tears, they grow old because of all my enemies. It's like, it's like I'm an old man now and I can't even see. David is shoulder deep in distress. And remember who this is. Remember who we're reading, what we're, who we are reading about and from. The man after God's own heart. The man after God's own heart is lamenting. He knows God's word. One of his duties as the king of Israel was to write the commandments. He knows the promises. He knows the power. He knows God's heart. And even the man after God's own heart is tempted to think wrong things about God. So I hope this isn't breaking news to you that you have wrong thoughts about God. I do. We all do. We have wrong, ill-informed, misinformed, limited, and incomplete thoughts of God. And then when suffering comes and scrambles our radar, blurs the lines, and the tears are heavy, and then we don't think clearly. And that's to be expected. It's what we see in the Bible. That's why the Bible says we must learn to grieve as those who have hope. We don't grieve as those who don't have hope. And I love that the Bible says that we need to learn to grieve as those who have hope and that it doesn't say, hey, don't grieve, grow up. The Bible never says that. It doesn't say, hey, God has a plan, get over it. You know, when Jesus wept the death of his friend Lazarus, it's amazing that the Gospel of John doesn't say that Jesus stopped crying because he realized God has a plan. That Jesus pulled himself together. Okay, okay, okay I, don't need to be, I don't need to be crying. This is, not, this is not a spiritual thing for me to do. That none of the disciples come over and go, Jesus, you're about to resurrect this guy. Come on, man. No, Jesus was grieving with hope. We lament with hope. We weep with those who weep. We lament with those who lament. We are patient with those who are doubting. And that's why Psalm 13 is here. David is asking Questions to God. And this is telling us and teaching us, you should ask God the questions you want to ask. The things you want to say to God. To get them off of your chest and into the throne room. That's what David does. And he still calls, that's why, verse three, he says, consider me and answer, Lord, hear what I'm saying. But look at what he calls God. Lord, my God. He still reveres God. He still honors God. That's why he says, restore brightness to my eyes. I need, I need your help or I'm going to die. I will sleep in death. I don't want to die yet, God, so help me. As we learn to lament, one mode we've seen from the Bible. So the series is called Learn, Learn to Lament. Okay, what, do we, what have we learned from Jeremiah, from Moses, and David? Here's one model we've seen already. Write them down. Don't just rehearse them in your mind. 
A model we've seen already is write them down. Jeremiah wrote his down. Moses wrote his down. David wrote his down. And they're preserved for us thousands of years later. Paul shared some with us. Three times I asked the Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. How long, Lord, will this thorn be here? I asked the second time, how long? Remove this thorn. Three times, Paul. So write them down. Because writing has a way of helping us discover what we truly think and believe about something. When I sit down and write sermons or write articles, I'm really discovering, what do I really believe about this? What do I think the Bible actually says about this? Because our hearts, guys, our hearts are like that box of Christmas lights in your garage. Tangled, messy, and a few broken bulbs. Even though year after year, you take the time. I'm not going to just toss them in the box again. I'm going to neatly wind them up. I'm going to fold them. I'm going to put on the Velcro wraps. I'm going to put them in there. And then nine months later, how is that box a mess again? Every year. This is our hearts. Jumbled, messy, tangled. And so as we write laments, as we process, we're untangling these wires. We're, we're separating the knots and we're checking the bulbs. When you write sentences and you're putting words in order and they're placed on a page, you're seeing what you actually believe. I, I see the pain that I'm feeling now. I see, I'm, I'm voicing my disappointment, my frustration, my fears, my complaints, my confusion, and I'm bringing them all to God looking for help. That's what Jeremiah did. That's what Moses did. It's what David does. And a seminary professor had his students write, write down laments in one of his classes. It was a complete exercise. I want you to write. We have all experienced enough suffering already in our lives, if you're an adult, or know those who have, that you could write laments. To go and write them down, to practice, to learn to lament. And there was a man in the class named Bob who he had chronic pain, went through various sufferings himself, and also cared for his in-laws in their old age. And he wrote a powerful lament that functions as a back and forth with God. Bob writes, it's called a spontaneous lament, kind of a back and forth with God. And he says, why did my daughter's husband break her heart? I know, little child. Won't you tell me, father? I won't, my son. Why does my wife have to live in pain? I know, little child. Won't you tell me, father? It would make it easier. It wouldn't, my son. Why do parents have to bury their children? It isn't right. It isn't, little child. Then get rid of death, father. I am, my son. Why are your people abused, persecuted, and killed? Can't you protect them? I can, little child. Then do something. I did, my son. Why do my parents need to finish their lives in unrelenting misery? How is that merciful? It is, little child. Then I don't understand mercy. You don't, my son. But it all hurts so much sometimes. I know it does, little child. How do you know, Father? I have felt all the pain of sin, my son. Can't you make it all stop? I can, little child. Then do it, Father. I started 2,000 years ago, 
and will finish soon, my son. I believe you, Father. Help my unbelief. I love you, my son. Those are honest vocalizations of grief to our Father. And he arrives at the love of God, which is where lament leads us to his love. Lament, we don't learn to lament so we can understand our sufferings. We can't. We aren't strong enough. We aren't capable of wrapping our finite minds and hearts around the 10 billion things that are happening in this universe at this moment. But we can learn to trust and understand God's faithful love. Look at verse five. After all of these how longs and every days and consider, David says in verse five, but I have trusted in your faithful love. It all lands back on the faithful love of God. Just like in Lamentations, this word in verse five, but I have trusted Jeremiah said, yet this I call to mind. So now, yes, David has said, will you hide your face from me? And he lands on, but I have trusted in your faithful love. Will you forget me forever? I have trusted in your faithful love. David knows it's not true. David knows God's love is faithful. As the prophet Isaiah says, God speaking through Isaiah, Zion, God's people may say, the Lord has abandoned me. The Lord has forgotten me, just like David. And look at how God answers. Can a woman forget her nursing child? No. Or lack compassion for the child of her womb? God says, even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, present. Even if a nursing mother were able to forget her child, God says, I will not forget you. God will not forget you. David says later in another Psalm of Lament, in Psalm 27, he says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. That phrase, the Lord cares for me, is quickly becoming one of the favorite phrases of mine in the Bible. The Lord cares for me. The almighty, eternal, cosmic creator of all things has his gaze on you. We have all been undercared for in our lives, even if we have the best parents that we could possibly have. We've all experienced less than ideal care because our parents aren't perfect. But the Lord cares. So tuck this into your hearts because one day, this may not seem sweet to you, but one day it will. When you are suffering because of your own sin and you're beginning to lament and you feel like, how could God love me again? And you remember, the Lord cares for me. He's aware of you. He's attentive to you. He's concerned. He's not aloof. He's, he's not too busy. The Lord cares for you. David knows and remembers that God loves him faithfully and hasn't forgotten him. And friend, the Lord hasn't forgotten you. When that chemo drip begins, he hasn't forgotten you. 
He cares for you. When you soak your pillow with tears, he hasn't forgotten you. When you rehearse in your mind every day the agony you're going through, like a steel-toe boot in a dryer, you can't get the cycle out of your mind. The Lord cares for you. And every text that we've seen from Lamentations 3 to Psalm 90 and here in Psalm 13, Moses and Jeremiah and David, they all land at the same concluding point in the middle of their laments. And it's God's faithful love. Jeremiah says, this I call to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Psalm 90, Moses says, I recall the steadfast love of the Lord. David now says, I have trusted in your faithful love, trusting it. Do you? Do you trust the faithful love of God? I know you know it, and I know that you could probably tell me what John 3.16 is. One of my greatest concerns in the Bible Belt is just knowing verses and not really knowing God's faithful love. I'm confident many of us could pass a Bible quiz. But do you actually trust God's faithful love for you? Do you bank on, do you lean your entire life into the faithful love of God? And that now today, thousands of years later, after David penned the Psalm of Lament, we now have even a bigger and grander, fuller understanding of God's faithful love in the cross, in the death, and in that bloody hill, and in the empty tomb of King Jesus. In the middle of our laments, we grieve not away from the gospel, but towards it, towards the faithful love of God. We always come back to the gospel. There are glimmers here of the gospel in in Psalm 13, your faithful love. What is God's faithful love? Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says, that one would lay down his life for his friends. Paul says that even while we were yet sinners, God proves his love for us. And Christ died for our sins. Jesus, the eternal son of God. I mean, you just think about those words, the eternal son of God. And God forgive us as we become dull to these things. That's one of the greatest dangers in our lives. that We become dull to hearing the eternal son of God loves me and died for me, paid for my sins in full and rose again from the dead. And we act like this is no big deal. And he's alive in the heavens right now. We've got to move beyond this just becoming some automatic Sunday school answer and seeing it as history, our history, that God loved you even before you were born. That God loved you before stars came into existence. That God, has, God had a personal commitment to you before soil existed. And God still has a personal commitment and affection to you and does today. Because for the joy set before him, God the Son endured the cross, despising the shame and took our sins upon himself, carried our griefs, shouldered our sorrows. 
He entered into our suffering. That's why even on the cross, as Jesus is dying, he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the first line of a Psalm of Lament, Psalm 22. Even in that moment, Jesus is lamenting on our behalf. He's lamenting because of our sins. He's lamenting because the wrath of God is being placed upon him and he is being abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. So that we would never experience that kind of suffering. And he rose from the dead showing one day all suffering will end. The resurrection of Christ is the great reminder for all of us that suffering will end. Do you trust the faithful love of God? Shown in the cross, shown in the empty tomb. I know you've heard it. If you come to our church regularly, you hear it every week. But do you trust it? Have you experienced it? At the end of your days, do you trust Jesus and his death for you? His resurrection for you? Do you trust that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes? Do you trust that he will make all things new? Trust him today. Believe in him. Put your faith in him. And if you are a Christian, often what we need to do is we need to retrust, to re-believe again. And then we'll sound like David who says in verse five, my heart will rejoice in your deliverance. We will be delivered from sickness, pain and grief and sadness, mental disorders from fears. The deliverance is coming, but it's, it's his deliverance. And what, what you notice here is he hasn't been delivered yet. It's not like his suffering has ended when he started writing this song. Often what we think is that we can't rejoice until we experience deliverance, until the suffering has ended. But David says in the middle of it, I will rejoice. I will right now. He is resolving to rejoice. At some point, friends, in our suffering, we must resolve to rejoice. That's the way he says in verse six, I will sing to the Lord. Why? I will praise God. Why? Because he has treated me generously. Do you see the great contrast from the end of verse six to the beginning of verse one? How long, Lord, are you going to forget me forever? And then as he processes, as he vocalizes his grief, as he recalls the faithful love of God, he remembers, no, God has treated me generously. If you know the gospel, you know God has treated you generously. So rehearse the truths of the gospel to yourself. Recount the kind generosity of God. Always come back to the eternal and unparalleled blessings that you have in the gospel of grace. How has God been generous to you? He's forgiven me of all my sins. I don't deserve that. He's freed me from my sins. He's forgiven me, but now I've been freed from the power of sin. I'm not a slave to my sins anymore. He's made me new. I'm a brand new person in Christ. I've been set free, I have a new identity. How else has God been generous to me? He's made me a co-heir of the universe that not only has he declared me not guilty, justified is what that word means. He's also now said, why don't you become 
one of my children. I've adopted you. Why don't you become a co-heir with the eternal son? And now everything in the universe belongs to you because it belongs to Jesus. We don't deserve this. God has treated us generously. And he loves us still. Do you see the great generosity of God? And David knows it. He knows, no, God hasn't forgotten me. He's been so generous to me. And friend, God hasn't forgotten you. He's been generous to you. When the answers don't come, trust God's faithful love. We don't need the whys answered more than we need the who. Christ himself and his faithful love. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us to know your faithful love. You know our questions. You know our laments. You know our struggles. So Lord, help us. Help us to rejoice in you. Help us to remember how you have treated us generously. Help us to remember the cross of Christ, our man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Help us to remember your generous promises to us that we would know the love of God that surpasses understanding that neither height nor breadth could fathom and capture the love of God. Help us, King Jesus. Help us to wait on you in our sufferings. And we will rejoice in your deliverance. And it's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.